Sing worthy 
Praise the Lord. 
Good morning. It's a little wet out there. I want to share with you a testimony uh, this morning from one of the inmates that is a part of our uh, prison uh, ministry. And uh, Vivian will be in the foyer uh, this morning with uh, cards to sign. And, uh, and also you can uh, sign up to be uh, a pen pal with, with one of these inmates. I resisted that for a while and then uh, I jumped in and uh, uh, I uh, correspond with a young man by the name of Willie. Uh, who has some pretty serious medical issues, uh, including being uh, in, incarcerated. And it's not as scary as you might think it is. And you can share as much or as little uh, as you want, and, uh, but uh, they, uh, they pour their hearts out uh, to you. And uh, so if you have not uh, been a part of that, and that may be something God is leading you to do, I would encourage you uh, to do so. But Malvin... Uh, received this text message from his employer. It says, Malvin, you inspire me as a person with your actions and your faith. I want to donate $3,000 in your name to something you think will impact others in their faith. You are a great person and a great example to others. Please make this happen. Jay. And then Malvin responds, Mr. Jay, Amen, and thank you, sir. Let me pray on it, and whatever God puts in my heart, that's the direction we will go to plant the seed. All I can say is thank you, and it's a great honor and privilege to be employed at Himmels. Signed, Malvin. Well, Malvin chose hearts for inmates here at Westgate. And so we received a check for $3,000 in the mail this past week from Jay Himmel to go toward progressing this ministry even further. And so this is just one testimony of, of a young man who was part of this ministry, who has been released from prison, uh, has uh, found gainful employment, and his life is speaking of the relationship that he has with Jesus Christ. And so being a part of that, you need to know more than just uh, what we see uh, on the last Sunday of each month, but what is taking place uh, you know, on a regular basis through this ministry as we reach out and share uh, with, these, uh, with, with these inmates. And so Vivian, thank you so much for leading out in this ministry. Thank you to all of you who uh, are writing uh, to uh, inmates and help support uh, this, uh, this ministry. Well, as we continue in worship this morning, let's pray together. Let's pray for this ministry and let's pray for our service. Father, we thank you so much for your love and your grace and your mercy that you pour out upon us daily. And Father, we thank you that we are able to gather together uh, this morning here in this place, even with the rain falling around us. Father, we are able to gather in this place to worship the true and the living Lord. And Father, we pray for those inmates who are gathering together across our state, across this nation this morning, 
inmates who are incarcerated, but yet, Father, they have found a relationship with you. And Father, as they worship you this morning, I pray that it is a sweet sound unto your ears. And Father, we thank you for this testimony, for the work that you have done in the life of Malvin and in the lives of so many others. Father, as we here at Westgate continue to reach out uh, to inmates, I pray that you would bless, that you would bless those efforts and more of these men and women will come to know you as their personal Lord and Savior. Father, we give you all the praise and the glory and the honor. In your holy and precious name we pray, amen. I'll stand together.
chorus again with just your voices. Run to the Father, fall into grace, done with the hiding, reason to wait. My heart found the surgeon, my soul needs a friend, so I'll run to the Father again and again. I run to the Father, fall into grace, done with the hiding. Father, may that be our response each and every day. May we get up ready to run to you. Lead and guide us according to your perfect intention. And now as your word is open and preached and proclaimed, our mind's attention and our heart's affection are focused. You may be seated. Aren't you glad you don't live in the days of Ezra, where they stood in the rain for hours to listen to the preaching of God's word? It's hard enough just to get in here, and I will say that we are going to task our building committee to make sure that our parking lot is fixed by the next time it rains like this, right? So you guys plan on meeting, we're gonna figure out how to get all that water out of there draining in a better way. Aren't you glad you came today? I mean, there's been enough already to inspire us. I hope in the next couple of minutes there'll be a little bit more inspiration, but a couple of things that inspired me today is I think about, uh, number one, is all of you that came. I wish that I had stars to give you as you walk through the door, because I know it was a lot of effort to get here, and you had to face a lot of adversity in, in the rain. And then to hear stories like Malvin. Uh, you recall, Vivian was reminding me, Malvin spoke here uh, when we were over in the gym last year, and he shared with us, and he talked about how much this ministry has meant to him. I hope that we can match what Mr. Ebley, whatever his name was, has given uh, to help out with this ministry. Uh, Malvin was able to go home to be with his family over Christmas and share the gospel with him. Isn't that great? Thank you, Vivian, for that ministry. Thank you for letting us be a part of that. And then Austin Coots, where are you? Is Austin here? Are you dry yet? Austin met me as I was getting out of my car with an umbrella. I had the umbrella. He did not. Austin had run. He lives in the neighborhood. He, he had run here. And he told me that he understood that rain was not a reason not to go to church. So he was absolutely drenched by the time he got here. Great story. Uh, Virginia Weaver is another church member that y'all are aware of. Uh, she is a neighbor of Austin's. She was the one who encouraged him to come to church, comes by himself from the neighborhood. She encouraged him to come. He's been coming ever since, even in the rain. So that was another one of those inspirations for me. Part of, part of a... Part of church is showing up, and when we show up, we hopefully are inspiring each other. Man, I want to remind you about the opportunity to show up tonight. 
for our steak dinner. It's going to be a great opportunity for us to gather and have steak, enjoy one another's company, uh, gawk about if we predicted the right outcome of the AFC and then the NFC. We're just going to have a good time together. I want to remind you that we're moving into a, a study of Christian doctrine that's going to be so helpful. And if you're not able to come, and all of you are invited to do this on Wednesday evenings from 6 to about 6, 2025, Dave Carpenter is going to be teaching on Paul David Tripp's book, Do You Believe About Christian Doctrine and How It Applies to Our Lives? So in the sanctuary, we as men will come in here. We'll get to hear some wonderful teaching from Dave as he shares with us. Then we'll break up into groups and we'll talk more about it. If you can't come on a Wednesday night, we're going to try to extend the play so that you can get that information in other times and also meet at other times as well. But I hope you're planning on being here. If you haven't signed up, we still have room to come. Love for you to be here. How many of you guys are planning on being here tonight? 65 was the last count that I had, and I hope that we can hit all 75 because we have 75 stakes waiting for you guys. Well, this morning we pick up where we left off in the book of James. We changed the sermon title. As you recall, last year, last fall, we began with uh, Family Resemblance, a study of James and, jo uh, James and Jude, and uh, it just felt like, you know, we need a little bit more variety. You see the same slides up there. We're still going to study God's Word no matter what, we're, what slides are up on the screens. But we changed it to a providential postcard, even though we were talking about uh, the, same, uh, the, the same issue of Jesus' brothers writing about how we are to resemble more of who He is. So this morning we pick up where James left off. Remember, James said, watch out. And we talked about that for a couple of minutes just to say watch out could mean watch out, look out, avoid things, or it could be watch out for one another. And Jude kind of dovetails on that to say we need to watch out for false teachers. In Jude chapter, uh, Jude, only one chapter, we're going to see about faith is a fight. We're going to look at the first four verses today, kind of an introduction to it. We're calling it a providential postcard because it is such a short book. And it was not the book that he planned to write. We're going to see here that he planned to write something else, but he ended up writing this. And so we're calling it a providential postcard because I believe it's providential that God gave it to us. Let's read it together. It says in Jude chapter, uh, verses 1 through 4, it's chapter 1 if we get confused. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James, to those who've been called, who are loved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ. Mercy, peace, and love be yours in abundance. Be multiplied. Dear friends, Although I was very eager to write you about the salvation we share, that would have been a great book, wouldn't it? You know, talking about the salvation that we have in Christ, he said, I felt compelled to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to God's holy people. For certain individuals whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They are ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign Lord. And we're going to read more about that in the coming weeks, but let's just take a moment to pray that God would speak to us uh, through the brevity of these 25 verses. Lord, we pray that as we look at this book, sovereignly dis inspired by you, providential that we would have these words to remind us of the need to contend for the faith that was pass passed down to us once for all, by the saints. Thank you for that faith that has been passed down to us. Help us to realize the desperate need to defend it, to contend for it, to ardently fight for it. I pray that you would guide us as we look at this book. 
that it would speak inspiration into each, other, each of our lives, and your spirit would change us, cause us to repent in areas where we need to. In your name we pray, amen. Well, this was likely the youngest brother of, of, of Jesus. And he notes that he is the brother of Jesus, very unique. Nobody else in the New Testament describes himself biologically connected to someone else. Only Jude does that as he identifies himself as a brother of James. And then he says that he is a slave of Christ. The word used there is one that is used to describe Moses and Joshua and David and, and even Jesus. The type of slave it is is mean that you are completely under the control and authority of another. That's so important for us to see is this man writes who literally grew up with Jesus even though he was the youngest brother. Kent Hughes was in his commentary says those closest to Christ are happy to be servants. And servanthood is how we model maturity in Christ. And so Jude is modeling that. He is saying I am a bondservant, a slave of Jesus Christ. Jude was a very common name. It was popular because of Judah, one of the 12 tribes, and also because of Judas Maccabees, who led out in the revolt against Antiochus Epiphanes. So if the Beatles had been singing Hey Jude during the first century, a lot of guys would have taken note. Very popular name. In John chapter 7, verse 5, we're told that the brothers of Jesus didn't believe in him. And so here is this man who's recognizing that once he didn't believe, but now he does believe because of the power of what Jesus Christ can do. His name literally means Judas, and that's why in our English translations it's translated Jude, but it could be Judas as well, as you see in Scripture. And it's very ironic that God would use the name Judas to contend against those traitors the most infamous of all being Judas Iscariot. Judah wouldn't be known to us today were he not obedient to write this book. So I think it's important for us to recognize that the very first step towards contending for the faith is obedience. And you try to get a little benchmark of where this book was written, when it was written, uh, several different places it could have been written, probably in Palestine. He was writing to Jewish Christians, both in that region and beyond, even the whole scope of the Mediterranean world. Probably around, somewhere around AD 68. Probably not after AD 70, because you remember that Jerusalem fell in AD 70. There's no mention of that, which probably would be brought out if that was a current event. And it was written after Second Peter, and Second Peter has very similar themes. The thought is, Second Peter was written just a couple years before that, and in Peter, Peter is saying, watch out because false teachers are coming, and in Jude's book, he says they are here. So the thought is that Jude was written after Peter, that there was a connection there, and that they were dovetailing on one another. There's no individual mention in this particular book, no church that is mentioned, but it is written to all Christians of all eras for every believer to take heed to. Faith is a fight. If you're looking for the theme of Jude, contend for the faith. It is to say that faith is a fight. Why is it a fight? Because not all beliefs are equal. If all faiths and beliefs were equal, there wouldn't need to be a fight. We could just say, oh, that's fine. You believe what you believe. I believe what I believe. Oh, doesn't that sound familiar? The idea now is that all faiths are 
equal. And what Jude is saying about contending for the faith is recognize that all not, not all beliefs are exactly the same. They're not equal. A servant of Jesus Christ, to those who have been called, who are called in love in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ, mercy, peace, and love be yours in abundance. Jude's greeting would reflect a great concern for his, his readers. He was expressing great concern. Isn't it nice to know that, that God has great concern for you as you read his word? The words that he uses there to describe what we have, that not all beliefs are equal. The faith that we have, has, it keeps us. It keeps us by the mercy of God. It keeps us with the peace of God. It keeps us with the love of God. And each one of those words are so significant as Jude talks about it. Kept. It means to be preserved for the future fulfillment of all God's promise. So if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, what Jude is, I'm going to call him Jude, I don't know why. Jude is saying is, God has kept you. When you entered into faith with him, salvation, he is keeping you. A determined fact already exists. You are kept for the future fulfillment. It means to be kept under guard. You are guarded and protected by Almighty God for His promises yet to come. It says that you've received mercy. And when he talks about these particular words, mercy and peace, that was a very common greeting, but he's going to add an extra one only found in this book of the New Testament. So pay attention in just a moment. Mercy. Mercy is being spared from what we deserve. Grace is getting what we don't deserve. Mercy is being spared from what we do deserve. We were under the penalty of our sin, banished from all eternity from God, but by God's mercy, we were spared from that. And peace means to have the end of hostility with God. There's no longer hostility. We're no longer enemies with God because of our relationship with Jesus Christ. It's a peace that the world can't provide, as we see in John chapter 14, verse 27. And when Jude was using the word mercy and peace, that was a very common greeting, but then he adds the word love. It's the only place in the New Testament where these three come together. And Jude likes to use triads, the, the mixing of, of three thoughts or words together. That's important for us to hear. Mercy and grace, we understand that, right? God gave us what we don't deserve, and he has not given us what we do deserve. If you think about that, you could just say, okay, I'm basically God's reclamation project. He knew I was a sinner, destined for eternity to be separated from him. He pulled me out of the fire. I'm his reclamation project. Not much relationship there. But then Jude says, by love. Agape, unconditional love to say you're not just God's reclamation project. You are loved unconditionally by God no matter what you have done. It is a word that is foreign to humanity. It's like a foreign language when we say love, especially in our culture today. You say love, that can mean any number of things. But Jude is using the word to say you are loved unconditionally. It's important for us to know that, that our faith is uniquely different than all others. We have been rescued by Jesus Christ, and we are kept to be with him for all of eternity, and that is sealed by the love of Jesus Christ. And because of that, that gives us purpose to rally for the faith. Who else has that? 
When's the last time you heard another religious entity proclaiming that this is what you have through their system of belief? So what Jude is saying is, God has the power to keep, and we have the responsibility to keep ourselves in his love, not to drift away, as which we will see throughout this book, that it happens. And he says to be multiplied, that it will be yours in abundance. What does it mean to multiply something? What is zero times zero? Quick on the math. Zero times zero is, is zero. You can't multiply it. You can only multiply what you already have. So when Jude says, may this be the fact that you have mercy and peace and love in your life, may it be multiplied, meaning gives us confidence we already have it, and it says if it needs to be multiplied, we should be craving for more of it, wanting more of God's love, wanting more of his mercy, wanting more of his peace being manifest in our life. And as Jude goes through this book, he keeps on saying, contend for that. Contend for this unique belief that we have, this unique doctrine called the gospel of Jesus Christ, that God has rescued us from the poverty and the penalty of sin by the providence and provision and the presence of Jesus Christ. When he uses the word contend, it means that faith is being challenged. Would you Would you agree that your faith is being challenged? That this belief is being challenged today? Yes, we all would. And so he's saying we must contend for it, just as they had to back then. It means to have an effort, an unlimited effort, a continuing effort for the right cause. We hear all the time in our culture today. We want to make sure that we're standing on the right side of history because most of us are standing on the wrong side of history. And Jude says, you want to be sure you're standing on the right side of history. This faith that we have, this faith needs continual focus and energy. A lot of football on people's minds today. I hope you're not watching uh, the the pregame episodes right now when you're on your phone. But if you are, I'm going to contend for you to join me. But the word contend here, it means that you stay so focused and engaged that nothing else consumes your attention. I played football and fortunately was able to be on, on, among the starters. And what was unique about when you would come back out of the game and you would be on the bench watching the game, if you were a starter, your whole focus was on the game. Now understand those who didn't start, I mean, they were thinking about other stuff. They wished that they had phones that they could kind of be scrolling through. But you're not walking over to the sideline in the throes of a game asking guys, man, who do you think you're going to ask to the prom? Or, man, have you seen those new Converse cleats? And nobody on the bench would ever say, man, I hope this game will wrap up soon because I need to get home and study. I I never heard that. (laughs) And when Jude is talking about contending, he is saying, I want you guys to be contenders. Now, throwback, 1954, on the waterfront, Marlon Brando, what? Who said that? That was really good. (laughs) Yeah, we got the raspy voice. I could have been a contender could have been. could have been somebody. But I'm a bum. And Judah's saying, don't be a bum. Contend for this gracious gift that we have, this faith. It's a picture of athletic competition, that word contend. It means to sweat and to bleed. And, and I remember when we would go back to the locker room after a hard-fought game in which we won. 
And we would have stains on our uniforms and grass stuck in our face mask and our arms would be bleeding and we'd be covered in sweat and we smelled horrible. But it was such a good feeling and that's the picture that we gave everything necessary for success. That's this word here. And it's only used in this context and in this way in the book of Jude. Now Paul would refer to it using the same word talking about fighting the good fight. But this is an intensification of the same word here to mean that you are continually giving your very best effort to assure success. Colossians chapter 1, verse 29, Paul would use a part of this word to talk about the intensity of God's mighty work at work within us. Here's a little comment that I wrote down. You may not like it, but I thought it made sense. Christianity should smell like a sweaty locker room that permeates with the aroma of hard-fought battles. And oftentimes those battles are waged in prayer. Don't get confused that we need to go out and do something dramatic and just over the top and the, the, the press will write about it and everybody will take notice. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about the consistent staying in the trenches, contending for the faith. Tell you a man that never came into this church except one time. He was a church member, but he only came one time to this sanctuary. You might say, wow, not much of a church member. Felton Colvin had Lou Gehrig's disease. He was confined to a bed. He couldn't come to church physically. The only time that he came to the sanctuary was in a casket. But I would say that he was one of the greatest contenders of the faith. A man who had to communicate in the latter part of his life with a board in which letters were, were pointed to one by one and he would raise his eyebrow just a little bit to point out the letter and then go to the next letter to try to communicate that way. And he would pray fervently for the ministry of this church. That's what it means to contend for the faith. You may not be able to be out in the throes of the battle, but you can all be a part of the war through prayer. Faith that he's talking about, that, that, that Jude is writing about, it's written with a definite article. It's not a faith, it's the faith. The faith that was believed and passed down by the, the apostles at great sacrifice. Friends, I applaud you for being here, and it doesn't mean that the people aren't here today when it's raining or bad people, but I applaud you to say it's, it's more than, than rain. More than rain is going to keep me away, Austin. That's not a, a valid enough reason. It's to say that we have received this, this faith, the faith, at great cost from those who have gone before us. It's to say the faith, meaning it is completed. It doesn't need anything else added to it. We live in a time... In, especially over the last several centuries, to see this addition to, this addition to. Even Paul wrote about that in Galatians. If anybody tries to add to the gospel, let them be accursed. It is, in, it is in the gospel that we have today is in its final form. We don't have to discover something new about it. It is complete. It exists just as God intended. It means the entire body of information that God has given us, the truth that he has given us. And it was given to the early church, it's objective truth. We're gonna see through the book of Jude that the false teachers used subjective truth. 
dreams and ideas that they have conjured up. And because of that, they changed it into license and they denied the lordship of Jesus Christ. See, friends, we were saved from sin, not saved to sin more. And that's what the false teachers are talking about. John Calvin was the one who said, it's bad to live under a prince who permits nothing. Everybody chafes against that. But much worse to live under one who permits everything. We live in a time like that, don't we? Everything is permitted. And Jude is saying, contend for the faith, the truth. The truth that John said sets us free. The father of lies in John 8, 44, he is the one that seeks to distract, distort, and pervert the truth. We need to fight because ungodly beliefs are pervasive and subtle. Listen to these words, verse 4. For certain individuals with condemnation was written about long ago, they have secretly slipped in among you. They're ungodly people who pervert the grace of God into license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ as our only sovereign Lord. The word there, long ago, it means to be a decree that's been established, like a marriage license. It's established. It's not revoked. It's like the sale of property, the deed that you have. That's what it's talking about. Long ago, they have sealed their fate by denying the truth of who Christ is. And it says that they've crept in. Remember that Peter was saying, they're coming, and Jude says, they're here. They've crept in. Have you ever found a lizard in your house? It's like, how in the world did that thing get in here? You think you have a clean, closed-up house, and all of a sudden, there's, there's a, les- a lizard there. It's the same kind of picture here. It's kind of like being in the water, swimming in what you think is safe territory, and all of a sudden, an alligator just slips into the water. It's not like they came running in saying, I've got some new truth. They crept in, they, they seeped in. And we see that all the, day, all, all the time today on the, the internet. And friends, I just want to encourage you, be very careful on the internet. There are lots of good things out there. But God has established the church to be the guardian of truth. And that means the body of Christ, not one individual who teaches or talks, but the body of Christ. That's why if you ever hear heresy from, hear, heresy from this pulpit, we are to defend and contend against the one who spoke. And that would be even me if it's me. But people go to the internet. I see it all the time with young Christians. And in their zeal to grow, they're able to find the very worst teacher on the internet who draws him away from the church and teaches all these crazy things. Happens all the time. And that's why Jude is saying we must contend because it will creep in. Remember the seven churches that were written to in the book of Revelation? Only Smyrna and Philadelphia were were without corruption. They didn't have somebody that had slipped in. And he'll use this term over and over, these ungodly people oriented away from God rather than moving towards God. And when he uses the word pervert there, it means to alter the nature of something. Do you see that anywhere in culture today? To alter the very nature of something? Friends, we see that in the very creation order of sexual identity, of marriage, the very essence of things being altered. Saying the gospel can't be done that way. Nor can creation order as much as we'd like to talk about it sensuality. It's this lack of self-control. And he uses the example of Sodom and Gomorrah. 
in which these people are coming in and saying, hey, listen, it's the forerunners to Gnosticism in which they would say, the flesh is bad. Spirit is good. God created the spirit. Flesh is a bad thing created elsewhere. And it would, it would become a pervasive heresy in the early church in which the idea was the two are separated. They can't be mixed. So if you have the spirit of God and you're still in flesh, you do whatever you want in the flesh because it's not going to take the spirit. And so it was a license to go and sin more and more. And their thought was, listen, and Paul would write about that in the book of Romans as well. You go out and you sin as much as you can because that gives more God to glory because it requires more forgiveness in your life. So it fosters more, fra- more praise. And Jude is saying they are denying the very lordship of Christ. They're rejecting the authority of God, the authority of Scripture. They're causing divisiveness to occur. Whenever you see divisiveness, be cautious to say, is this truly of God? He talks about him in such great metaphors, clouds without rain, fruitless trees, wild waves, wandering stars. We'll see more of that as we go. And he says their actions deny their very belief in Christ. Faith is a fight because beliefs guide our behavior. And guys, we're going to be talking about that more. And this is going to be the balance of the book as he talks about it. In Titus 1.16, it says people have claimed to know God, but their actions deny them. That's exactly what he's talking about. So we must contend for the faith. I remember being a seminary student in Fort Worth, and one day I was working at the Ronald McDonald House, which required me to be in the house, couldn't leave the house all throughout the weekend. And so I was there, and I watched television, I watched the first Methodist church on television. They had a, a huge uh, audience there. And it was known to be lizards had crept in, alligators, everything had crept in there, and this guy was preaching as the pastor of the church, and he asked the question, where did we get the notion for sin? Where did we get this ridiculous idea of sin? And he expounded upon the, the ludicrous thought of what sin could be, that any of us would be sinners, only to find out later on as he lost his job being tangled up in an affair that this very point is proven out that beliefs guide our behavior. And when we believe that we can do whatever we want, it will guide the very behavior of our lives. And therefore, because not all faiths are equal and ungodly beliefs are pervasive and subtle and beliefs guide our behavior, therefore, equip yourselves with truth. It's as if Jude is turning on the security system to say, be prepared, be alert for what is coming your way. You remember William Travis, and Lane, as I look at you over there, I think you used this analogy a few years ago when you were preaching. You remember when William Travis, in the Alamo, in the falling days, drew the line in the sand, and some say it probably didn't really happen, but let's believe that it did. It's great Texas history. He drew that line in the sand. And if you're going to contend for this place, step over the line. And if you're not, you stay over there and good luck finding your way out. And Jude is saying the same thing. He's drawing a line in the sand to say, contend for the faith. The faith that says God loves you and has created you to have a relationship with him. The faith that reminds us honestly, lovingly, that we are sinners in desperate need of a Savior. And if we don't get a Savior through Christ, we are forever doomed. But thankfully, Jesus Christ came to make us right with God. 
And all we have to do is humbly repent, turn away from our sins, turn to Christ and fully surrender our life to him. That's the faith that we contend for, the faith that will transform and change a life for all of eternity. And if you've never committed your life to Christ, I want to invite you to join me in a prayer. You can voice a prayer similar to this and begin a relationship with Christ. And for all of us as Christians, that we would contend for that very faith of what Christ died to give us. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for this providential postcard filled with so much information and 25 verses. It seems overwhelming the way that you have used him to communicate to us. I pray that as we go through this book, you would give us greater clarity of what it means to contend for the faith, to be Christians that have the smell of sweat because our bodies perspire with the aroma of hard-fought battles. Lord, we recognize that there may be someone that is here today with us that is that has never embraced forgiveness and grace and mercy and love from you. I pray that today they would voice a prayer similar to this, Lord Jesus, I recognize that I am a sinner in desperate need of your forgiveness. Please forgive me of all my sins to become the Lord and Savior of my life. I surrender to you all that I am and all that I have. And I will follow hard after you the remaining days of my one and only life. Lord, because of what you have done, you allow us to enter into a relationship with you, to be forever forgiven, kept for all of eternity, sealed with your mercy and your peace and your love. That is the faith that is worth contending for and help us to truly be contenders. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I'm going to invite our deacons to make their way to the front as we enter into this time of the Lord's Supper. And um, for those of you, you guys just come on and begin to pass out the elements. For every believer in Jesus Christ that is obediently following him, meaning you're not living in unrepentant sin, but you're obediently seeking to follow after Christ, doesn't mean that you're sinless. We are, we are here to receive these elements because we recognize that we are sinners in desperate need of a Savior. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you've been baptized, first step of obedience to say, I'm a follower of Christ, we invite you to join in as we receive these elements. This is one way we contend for the faith. You guys go ahead and begin to pass out the elements. This is one of the ways that we contend for the faith. You guys go ahead and just take the elements, begin to pass them out. We contend for the faith by reminding each other of the faith that we have. And the Lord's Supper does that. It reminds us of the sacrifice that Christ has given the fact that we could not be here without him. And so as we receive these elements, we are contending for the faith. We are encouraging one another and thanking God for what he has done. So let's pray quietly where you are as these elements are passed out and prepare our hearts to receive it.
Barry, there's a mic right over there. Amen. On this rainy day when you're feeling a little bit sluggish, I doubt that I inspired any of you to go out and have a fight, but let me just say this. Contending doesn't mean to be a nasty, belligerent, rude debater. Speak the truth in love. We don't need to go out and pick fights. We just need to stand up for the truth. And part of contending for the faith is to remember, to not forget what Christ has done. And that's why he said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. This cup is the new covenant between God and you, sealed by the shedding of my blood. So do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. As we close out this service and remember what Christ has done for us, let's stand together and sing. Our deacons will be standing back in the aisles if you need someone to pray with you or to minister over you. If you've made a decision to trust Christ, to be baptized, to become a part of this church, or want somebody to pray with you, you can visit one of uh, these couples, or I'll be standing at the cross. You can see us at the communication desk after the service. And when we leave, we have umbrellas for you to carry out if you need. You can take them to your car and please bring them back. We will contend that you bring them back, but you can use those on the way out. But let's just use this last song to, to worship the great faith, the, great, the one who has given us this great faith, Jesus Christ. I don't 